0: May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia, and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. Where were you four years ago, March 2020? My family and I had landed in Puerto Rico, and we were expecting to enjoy a very nice vacation getting away from the cold winter weather, and everything was going well. We heard about this COVID that was going around. We landed on a Saturday night and went to the Airbnb, and everything was going well. We hiked in the El Yunque National Forest and was enjoying the weather. We had swam earlier in the morning. And Then we had this unusual text. It said that the restaurants were closing at 9 p.m. tonight. And then not too long after that, as we were heading back, it said the restaurants were closing at 7. And by the time we got back to our Airbnb, they said all the restaurants were closed. And we had heard from our Airbnb host that the country was essentially shutting down. They were banning swimming on the beach. I don't know what was going on in your life and where you were when COVID hit. Four years ago, the world was affected by a pandemic in many ways. The virus not only caused mortality, it also caused a lot of morbidity and suffering, and it caused a lot of fear and anxiety. In this episode, I am going to discuss what some scientists were predicting might happen with a severe virus like COVID and its possible impact on increased levels of chronic pain. This article was written in the Journal of Pain, five months after the pandemic had started in August of 2020. It discussed how the COVID-19 pandemic had impacted the lives and health of people worldwide and with potential for further effects in the future. If you're new to the podcast, I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am a pediatrician, an internist, a clinical epidemiologist, and a lifestyle medicine doctor. The goal of the podcast is to inform, inspire, and equip by using the biopsychosocial spiritual model to help give you a better understanding of what you may be going through. Remember that while I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. All of your individual signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual physician. And now on to this week's episode. The experience of living with the pandemic had disrupted daily life across all sectors in society, including those living with chronic pain, those infected by the COVID virus, healthcare workers, and essential workers as well as those who remained healthy. This would have a biopsychosocial spiritual impact on society. The authors Daniel Claw, Winfred Hauser, Stephen Cohen, and Mary Ann Charles discussed the possible future impact on chronic pain and overlapping conditions. They examined the potential health consequences of COVID 19 as it related to chronic pain, which might be nociplastic, neuropathic, or nociceptive. Specific possibilities might include chronic pain as a part of a post viral syndrome or the result of a viral-associated organ damage, worsening of chronic pain due to exacerbation of pre-existing pain physical or mental complaints, and chronic pain triggered in individuals not infected with COVID by exacerbation of risk factors such as poor sleep, inactivity, fear, anxiety, and depression. They felt that the COVID-19 pandemic had many characteristics that could potentially increase the prevalence of chronic pain especially the stressors, extending over many months. Acute viral illnesses often present with myalgia and fatigue, as well as other symptoms such as influenza, which in the H1N1 pandemics of 1918 and 209 and the SARS epidemic. Outcomes to these infections are almost always focused on the immediate response to the acute illness with little attention to long-term outcomes. In a study of 22 subjects, 21 of whom, Were healthcare workers infected during the SARS epidemic, a chronic post-SARS syndrome consisting of fatigue, diffuse muscle soreness, depression, and insomnia persisted for almost two years. Similarly, some patients with chronic widespread pain report onset of symptoms after a perceived viral illness. Although some infections cause post-infectious syndrome, there is also a common stereotypical response to any type of infection that is often observed. Some viruses, such as the Coxiella burnetii or the cause of Q fever and the Epstein-Barr virus, experience a post-viral syndrome of pain, fatigue, and memory difficulties for up to 12 months after an infection. Although these infections have quite different presentations, a typical chronic syndrome occurred at remarkable similar rates and was not predicted by demographic psychological, psychiatric measures, or microbiologic factors. The presence and severity of these diffuse body symptoms during acute infection was closely correlated with the subsequent development of chronic fatigue and pain. Chronic regional pain and other overlapping chronic pain conditions can follow other types of infection. In a meta-analysis by Halverson et al. noted that Approximately 10% of individuals will develop a post-infectious irritable bowel syndrome after an acute episode of viral or bacterial gastroenteritis, with premorbid psychological problems and or psychosocial stressors recognized as risk factors. On a similar note, an episode of acute urinary tract infection is evident in a substantial proportion of women who develop interstitial cystitis, now known as painful bladder syndrome. Collectively, these findings imply that various acute infections are capable of triggering both widespread and regional chronic pain. The evidence also suggests that the inciting infection must be of sufficient severity and duration to disrupt normal activities. Current estimates are that 80% of laboratory-confirmed COVID-19 patients have mild to moderate disease, including both pneumonia and non-pneumonia cases. 13.8% were noted at that time to have severe disease and 6% develop a critical illness requiring intensive care unit admission. Now, that was the data at the time. That was when testing, at least in the United States, was not as prevalent, and they were likely not picking up more mild cases. The point is that the majority had mild symptoms, but some had more severe symptoms. People with COVID-19 may exhibit a broad range of symptoms, beginning with those who are asymptomatic and extending to patients who developed full-blown respiratory distress syndrome. Nonspecific constitutional symptoms like fatigue, muscle soreness, chills, and headaches also were noted. Most patients experienced symptoms for one to two weeks with complete resolution, although some required admission to the hospital. At the time, they thought the mortality rate was 1%. What we now know is that it very much depended on other risk factors, was unknown with whether... Patients with chronic pain are more susceptible to viral infections or the consequences of. Theoretically, the diminished immune response observed in some chronic pain patients could be even further suppressed by factors such as depression, poor sleep, and opioid use with potential to increase susceptibility to COVID-19. Many people with COVID-19 need ICU care, and individuals surviving any illness requiring ICU admission are at increased risk of long-lasting severe functional limitations, psychological distress, and chronic pain syndromes. Surveys have reported that persistent chronic pain in 38 to 56 percent of ICU survivors when evaluated two to four years after ICU admission. Quality of life can be affected for prolonged periods. In one study, evaluating 575 patients 6 to 11 years after ICU discharge, many experienced persistent difficulty with mobility of 52%, 20% with self-care and activities of daily living in 50%, and pain and discomfort in 57%, and cognitive struggles in 43%. Mental health also is frequently affected by severe illness. Between 41 and 65% of SARS survivors have experienced persistent psychological symptoms. Between 25 and 44% of Hong Kong residents who were infected with SARS and survived were diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and 15% experienced depression for at least 30 months after the illness. Post-traumatic stress disorder also occurred in 40% of SARS-infected healthcare workers. Some chronic pain patients may actually experience worsening of symptoms resulting from COVID-19 due to public health and personal issues. It was anticipated that routine Clinic visits may be less accessible or closed, and healthcare professionals may be diverted to COVID-19-related activities, and waiting times may be prolonged, especially for medical illnesses such as chronic pain that many consider non-urgent. Patients may be less able or willing to travel for care or may be fearful of public exposure to infection in a medical setting. There may be delays in access to medications, and reduce prescribing as well as to pain management procedures considered to be of lesser importance during a pandemic. Reduced clinical encounters with a multidisciplinary approach, the physical therapists, psychologists, and self-help groups also would likely have adverse consequences to its felt. This may cause some to turn to less healthy ways of managing their pain, including alcohol or non-medically prescribed substances as a desperate measure to relieve poorly managed pain. The rapid evolution of telehealth presents new challenges for clinical care, especially for those not fully comfortable with or without access to digital technology. There also would be a significant economic impact on patients, both from potentially losing their job, housing, their spouse or partner losing their job, and the stress related to that. Another factor to consider, is reduce health-related physical activities, which are a vital management strategy for chronic pain. Social isolation and distancing would have a negative impact. Also, it was anticipated that closure of gyms and pools would also not be very beneficial. In the state that I live in, they actually closed the state parks for a period of time. It really restricted Access to regular exercise, which is one of the most important things that you can do to help manage chronic pain in a very effective way. Also, many people use fitness centers to work out, and if those were going to be closed down, that would also have a negative impact. It has been commonly recognized that catastrophic and stressful events, including COVID-19, would inevitably lead to exacerbation of chronic pain. However, two studies performed in the United States just before and after the 9-11 terrorist attacks indicate that not all psychological stressors will trigger or exacerbate chronic pain. Pain complaints and other somatic symptoms do not change among residents of New York and New Jersey who had been surveyed before and after the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center. Similarly, pain complaints did not change for patients with fibromyalgia in the Washington, D.C. region during the same period. Daily hassles and personally. Relevant stressors seem to be more likely to cause symptoms than major catastrophic events that do not personally impact the individual. Therefore, the duration of the stress from weeks to months of a lockdown in the current pandemic, it was felt that the time, and vocational uncertainty and actual loss of jobs was thought may adversely affect health outcomes. Reviews highlight the role that various catastrophic events have on health suggesting a number of factors that may be more important than the intensity of the stressor in predicting adverse health outcomes. Female sex, concerns about or the expectation of chronicity, and the inactivity or time off work can all trigger pain and other somatic symptoms. Naturally occurring catastrophic events such as earthquakes, floods, or fires seem less likely to lead to chronic somatic symptoms than similarly man-made stress events such as chemical spills or war. Exposure to a multitude of stressors simultaneously or over time may also pose significant risk for later body and or psychological symptoms. For example, in military personnel, multiple deployments significantly increase the risk for PTSD and other psychiatric conditions, which in turn are highly co prevalent with chronic pain. At the time, it was unknown whether COVID nineteen would cause an increase in new onset chronic pain for the population at large. Risk factors for the longitudinal development of chronic pain have been well studied in fibromyalgia and TMJ pain disorders. Although chronic pain conditions are thought by some to be highly related to stress and distress, studies have consistently shown that high baseline levels of psychological distress are only modestly related to the development of chronic, regional, or widespread pain with an odds ratio of 1.5 to 2. Regional chronic pain, female sex, and low socioeconomic status are the strongest predictors for the subsequent development of widespread pain. Other factors that may contribute to an increase in chronic pain are poor sleep and reduced physical activity. Sleep deprivation has been shown in more than one study to give symptoms virtually indistinguishable from widespread pain, fatigue, and diffuse tenderness, symptoms consistent with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. Furthermore, the effects of sleep deprivation may be attenuated by physical activity. Individuals who remain physically active may be less sensitive to the effects of sleep deprivation. Healthcare workers may be at increased risk for development of chronic pain. When this was published in 2020, there was an Israeli study that showed 9.7% of a cohort of 206 nurses fulfilled criteria for fibromyalgia with symptoms strongly correlated with work-related stress and PTSD-related symptoms. Numerous factors contributed to high stress levels across geographic boundaries. Nearly everyone is exposed to the intense media coverage and conflicting messages about the seriousness and fear that we should have about COVID. There was uncertainty about family and jobs and economic issues. There was uncertainty about housing. Many people, if they were losing a job or their partner was losing a job, may be losing their income. Whole industry sections were cut down at the time. If someone's loved one died, the usual social support system was restricted and thought to increase potential risk for chronic pain. Persistent and extreme stress can lead to severe mental health consequences, including an increased suicide rate. At the time, it was noted there was preliminary evidence that anxiety and depression, 16 to 28 percent, self-reported stress, 8 percent, and sleep disturbances are common reactions to this pandemic. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that it's more beneficial for those new to Fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. And this is just a few months after the pandemic started. What were the immediate consequences of COVID-19 and strategies to lessen these effects? Recovery from a life-threatening illness can be expected to affect future physical and mental health. Rehab services should be mobilized for both inpatient and outpatient care with attention paid to staffing issues to ensure access to psychological services, physical therapy, and occupational therapy. Routine medical care will resume for most patients, and healthcare professionals should be flexible and willing to adapt to methods of healthcare delivery, especially with regard to telemedicine. Healthcare workers must be also able to adapt to different methods of communicating with colleagues and an increased emphasis on virtual learning and teaching. Those working in mental health must be attuned to the consequences of economic hardship, which could include increased substance use, domestic violence, and suicide. Their conclusion at the time was that in this unprecedented crisis, the immediate healthcare concerns are directed towards containment and acute patient care. The impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on health will be likely manifested in both individuals and in people spared infection, but are nevertheless adversely affected by disruptions in normal life and experience a wide array of physical, psychological, and social stressors. Based on past experience, we postulate that these scenarios may collectively lead to an increase in chronic pain in the immediate and possibly long-term future. Amidst many uncertainties, the research community is urged to study and devise and implement strategies aimed at mitigating the pain-related health consequences of the pandemic. Some suggestions included the establishment of registries of infected patients, designated COVID-19-related clinics to ensure new and follow-up care for infected persons, examination of telehealth as a means of delivering healthcare, and population surveys to gather public information related to COVID-19. Epidemiological Data should be used to inform future health care policies that seek to reduce the magnitude of future epidemics and their myriad consequences on chronic pain and other diseases. The timely recognition of new chronic pain or exacerbations of a pre-existing chronic pain, prompt and targeted treatment, and strategies should mitigate the potential impact on health are strongly encouraged. So what's your thoughts? When I look at where we were four years ago, Within two weeks of coming back from that vacation, the number of patients we saw in person drastically dropped. We started doing telehealth and we continue to do telehealth. I agree with the author's assessment that this would have a major upheaval and would have a major impact on mental health and, not surprisingly, chronic pain conditions. There was this mystery, and we didn't quite understand before long-haul COVID was commonly recognized, these authors had anticipated that a long-haul COVID-type syndrome would develop, and the question is whether or not this is really a separate entity, long-haul COVID, or if it really is better understood under the umbrella of chronic overlapping pain conditions. There's a lot of factors when we look at fibromyalgia and other chronic Overlapping pain conditions that are triggers. One of those is an acute infection. While everyone who is living with a chronic overlapping pain condition is unique and has their own unique story, there are some common patterns. We know that there appears to be a genetic predisposition, and then there can be triggers or factors that unmask somebody's genetic predisposition. And these include acute events like trauma, including car accidents or other injuries. There also can be factors such as acute emotional trauma and stresses. As we've heard about today, we know there can be acute infections, not just COVID, but there can be infections like Epstein-Barr virus, serious influenza infections, serious pneumonia, and intense ICU stays where there is an impressive number of people who will have persistent chronic pain conditions. Clinics throughout the country and the world were set up to help the impending long-haul COVID patients, but which doctors were going to be the experts to take care of them? Many of them had been admitted to the ICU or had respiratory symptoms, but was a pulmonary doctor who's not used to taking care of chronic pain conditions, like fibromyalgia the best to take care of them? Were the rheumatologists who weren't necessarily used to taking care of people who had chronic respiratory conditions? It was a big mystery. There also was ongoing research into vaccines and acute antivirals. I'd love to hear from you if you've had long-haul COVID and how this has affected you, or if this has affected you or your loved ones or your patients, and also look at how you've gotten through this. Into the second year of the COVID pandemic, I had a patient of mine who was an ultra marathon runner and had been very healthy, admittedly probably had some other comorbidities like ADHD that she had managed by having a job that worked well for her, as well as having a very physically active lifestyle. And she came in with severe acute symptoms of fatigue, body aches, rundown, cough, and felt worse than she had ever felt before. She had tested positive for COVID-19. And I talked to her and I discussed that she's at likely higher risk of developing long-haul COVID symptoms if she would dial back on her activity level, which she had done during the first couple weeks, and then she was getting into the subacute symptoms and as exhausted as she felt, and encouraged her to try to maintain her high level of activity, or high compared to the average person who isn't necessarily running or training for ultramarathons, and she had kept up a fair amount of exercise and then gradually increased getting back to her original baseline over several weeks to months. And when I had seen her about four to five months earlier, she had been back to her baseline. And I wonder with the uncertainty and the fear how an acute infection can spiral out of control where the fear worsens. The uncertainty worsens when your body is feeling tired down. The natural inclination is to decrease your exercise and rest, which is great in the acute stage, but in the long term, that can actually shoot yourself in the foot and make symptoms worse. As I've said many times before, living with fibromyalgia and overlapping chronic pain conditions can feel like you're blindfolded, bound, and tortured by an unknown assailant without any recourse for relief. But when you can start to make sense of all of this and you take off the mask, it's not as intimidating and scary. It can help lessen the fear when you have the information and the knowledge and then work in a multifaceted approach to help get back on your road to feeling better. I hope that this has been helpful for you. If you have enjoyed this, one of the best things you can do to help is by hitting the like and follow button and sharing this with others in your life who you feel would find this important. Until next week, go team fibro.